Hey there, it's Raleigh. I want to catch you before this episode to tell you about our new and improved bonus podcast, More Mercy. Each week, I break down a MercyCast episode and show how it not only intersects with Scripture, but how it impacts our daily lives. This short devotional episode is only $3 a month, which is like $4 less than a cup of coffee at the Mermaid Place. To access it, all you have to do is click the link in the show notes. Remember, no matter what you're going through, there's always more mercy. And now, on with the show. Welcome to More Mercy, a bonus episode of the Mercy Cast, where I reflect on the previous week's episode and how it connects to scripture and this cultural moment. I'm your host, Raleigh Sadler. In 2016, I had to take an emergency vacation. It was bad. I was depleted. I had been going 90 miles an hour for a couple of years at that point. I was working several jobs at the same time just so that I could afford to live in New York and start my nonprofit. My board, which I had just formed, was concerned, and they asked me to present a plan so that I could last the long haul. Enter Neil Salzman. Neil's a licensed mental health therapist and the president of the REST Initiative. I went to college with him, and I was excited to connect again. It had been a long time. He congratulated me and challenged me at the same time. I love what you're doing, he said but I want to see you do it for 20 years and not just two. This conversation changed the trajectory of my life. You see, Neil had been there. He went to India to do trauma training for a year to help those on the ground better care for people who had recently experienced a devastating tsunami. Neil only lasted three weeks before he had to go home. In a unique turn of events, Neil realized that he was someone in need. Here's Neil talking about his experience. I was going at a pretty hard pace for the last four, four years prior to that, working full-time, seminary full-time. And I, my body, with all of the you know, transitions of living overseas, and I've been overseas many times and uh, did some work overseas for, for quite a while before that. But something when I got to India, my body said, nope. And it, it, it gave out and I started having some anxiety and exhausted, feeling overwhelmed. Luckily, I had some good friends with me who helped take care of me when I was there and, and decided to come home. And, and that's where I think for me, recognizing the opportunity to step back and go, what, what was going on with me? What, something's not right. And it's this process for me to really care for my own heart and really invite others to care for me as well. It began that, that season. Neil goes on to recount the care that he received during that time. I want you to pay careful attention to what he says about self-care and being tended to. Being a therapist myself, I had some good friends who were therapists. And so I immediately got in some sessions with a good friend of mine who's a therapist who could really just spend some time caring for me. I did meet a man from my church who had a very similar experience. He was in, I believe, in South Korea and did some missions work. An older man in our church, he was an elder, actually. Remember, he had me over for dinner and, and really cared for me. I mean, validated kind of God's, God's kindness in this and that letting this kind of fall apart and just reminded me of, of who I was. And so even this, this idea of self care that we hear in, culture, what, what began to shape in me was 
was it it wasn't so much self-care it was others care it was it was actually care of the self by others and what i needed was less be caring for myself and what i really began to experience is how other people can care for me and that really shaped a, a perspective of even i think scripturally of how one of the words we use a lot in, with the rest initiative is the word tend um, and I think it comes out of this experience in India. I needed lots of tending. And it wasn't, you know, but my story, I spent a lot of time really taking care of myself and getting places and doing things and making decisions. And it was kind of a foreign concept to be tended to. And I think me coming back from India, I was so desperate, such a hard place. People started tending to me. That was, that was eye-opening. And it was actually, I think, the big part of how my heart healed um, and began the process of healing. I began to create space for me to even wrestle with my story and my past. I find myself talking about self-care a lot, especially in churches with people who really care for vulnerable populations, because oftentimes we are unaware of the vicarious trauma we experience. We're unaware of compassion fatigue. We're unaware of really what we bring to the table. So helping people kind of slow down and check in with themselves so that they can continue the work for the long haul, that has become very important to me. But when I'm sitting there talking to Neil, it hit me. I don't think I've ever heard self-care defined this way. Neil defines self-care as being tended to by others. I'll be honest, we don't typically see it in that light because to see it in that light, you have to admit that this is care that must come from outside of us. Even Neil says that in that moment, he can do anything other than just be there. He needed his friends to come alongside of him and help him unpack his own story. And we do too. Neil's friends were close. We've talked about friendship before on the Mercy Cast. I have an episode with Boz Chavijan where we talk about close friends versus acquaintances, talk about inner circle friends versus outer circle friends. And I'll be honest, the friends that we choose. They can be a reflection of our self-care or of our self-loathing. The people that we surround ourselves with matter. We need good friends. Everyone needs good friends. But we also need intimate community. And so these other people, they're speaking into your life. You are healing in a sense. You're seeing different aspects of yourself. And then at what point did you think, I know that there are other people like me who are compassionate, they're drawn to others, they want to do work, but maybe they don't know how to be resilient. When did you come to this point where you're like, I want to help them? Well, I'd say a big part of that was recognizing one, that I had community. I actually went over to India with some really close friends. But what I began to realize the difference between good community and intimate community Ooh, that's good. Is it makes a big difference. And I feel like we need both. There are things, I, I do things with people. I even do mission stuff with people or uh, we have, I have fun with some good acquaintances at times. But, but when it comes to me, begin, what I begin to do is understand this idea of intimate community where for me that it was new in the sense of they really knew me. Like they really saw me and I wasn't too much or I wasn't too dirty or I wasn't too weak, but where I was enough. And this idea of intimate community is where I began to experience a lot more rest, a lot more, a, a deeper sense of renewal. And as I began to answer your question, I think what 
what I began to see, especially having gone to seminary and having a number of friends who went on to pastor churches and run nonprofits. So I began to see that, that a lot of folks were in similar positions that I was when I was over in India, alone, isolated, great intentions. Yeah. I mean, very skilled. I mean, very skilled I and mean, way smarter than I'll ever be. Um, entrepreneurial thinking and motivations, passions, but they were in the same positions, isolated, lonely, fear of failure. And I began to think, well, who's got their back? Who's going to tend to them so they don't burn out in six months, three weeks was me, or maybe a couple of years. Who's got their back to assure that they're going to be there 20 years? I think part of the reason that people can push back on self-care is because it is such a buzzword. And honestly, I get it. Because sometimes people do whatever they want and they call it self-care and you can't question it. It's become our own version of the emotional support ostrich. I'm not disrespecting emotional support animals. I know that they can be helpful. I mean, I lived in Manhattan. Everyone had an emotional support dog. Everyone. Partly because that's the only way you can get the dog into a lot of apartments. But still, I do believe that most people really enjoyed having that pet with them for the emotional connection. And it does help. But an ostrich? Anyway, point being, the question at hand here is self-care biblical? And this is a question that I asked Neil. My first inkling is to step back and go, so what, what do you mean by self-care? Mm. And is there a, a definition or a, a posture of care? Is that it does involve the self that is consistent with scripture. And I think obviously there is. Do I think there's a, a definition of self care that is very inconsistent with scripture? Definitely. So when I think of the idea of self care, that's important when to I, draw that distinction. When I think of my mind goes to the idea, and I forget someone said this, I, I don't remember who exactly is, but it's always stuck with me. The difference between working from your rest and resting from your work. Um, or the difference between resting from your work and working from your rest. That idea of care, and when I understand of scripture, moves us to a place of, I'm working out of a place of rest. I'm, care is creating a place of rest that I can then work from. And I think you see that in, in Genesis from the beginning. Is Even when God wrote Genesis to the people of Israel, when they were in the Exodus, when they were in the desert, they had to be reminded of what, you know, coming from a place of, production, building, making bricks. And they had to be reminded that who you are is not based on what you do. And one of the ways, I mean, lots of ways, but one of the ways is even reordering the day, evening and morning, day one, evening and morning, day two. Like you, you rest first and the then you work. I mean, as opposed to waking up, working and then resting. I also think quite ironic that man was made on the sixth day. And the very next day he rested. And the first thing he did was rest. And so there's this this consistent theme of rest out of that deep rest. And I think that rest of knowing who you are and your identity, I think knowing what, what shapes you as the beloved, working out of that place creates a different posture towards work. And, and when I think of care of the self, tending to the self, it's, it's creating space where we're reminded of what's true. And that's by resting well in the beginning so that I can then move out and work. And so if that's what I'm beginning to think of, of rest or of self-care, if you will, I think that's incredibly biblical. And I think it's gospel-centered because of First John, I loved you before you even loved me. It's God's loving us, not because we have all of our stuff together, or we have figured out, or we have this great purpose, 
this calling in our lives, like it has nothing to do with God's delight in us. And if that can be the posture I start out with, because I've been tended to and pursued, not because necessarily I sat and watched Netflix for 10 hours and just distracted myself, but because my heart was truly tended to, like by doing things that bring me life, that connect with people that are intimately connected with me and know me and know my story, try doing life out of that place. It's going to look so much different. And I think that's how resiliency is developed. I can bounce back because resiliency is being able to bounce back after dysregulation or crisis or trauma. I can do that because the foundation is laid. The deep rest has been experienced. You talk about working from rest rather than working for rest. You talk about when you quote First John, working from love. But so many of us, when we are just burning the candle at both ends and through the middle, we're working for love. We're working for acceptance. We're working for community. We're working for respect. We're working for money. We're working for everything. But you turn that on its head and you say, no, scripture shows us that the design was always to work from a place of surplus, not scarcity, a place where you have what you need. And so now what do you want to do? When we think about the gospel, when we realize that this was done for you, the next question is, okay, now that everything is done for you and that you're right in the eyes of God, what are you going to do? Neil explains what it looks like for us to work from rest rather than for it. And he also couches this in the gospel where we see God loving us first so that we don't have to work for love, but we work from love. There's this monergistic tendency that God has where he shows up first before we ever seek him out. When we can't seek him out, just like Neil and myself were completely exhausted and we had nothing to give, there were people that came around us, met us at our point of need. And that's ultimately what God does. He meets you when you can't meet him, when we are too weak. Scripture says when we are dead, he comes to us and breathes life into us. I love how Neil talks about the Israelites in the desert and how they're hearing the word of God and how they're hearing about Sabbath rest, but they're also hearing about the created order of things and how mankind was created on the sixth day, but on the seventh day, we rested with God. Genesis 2 verses 2 and 3 say this, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. There's this idea here of preemptive rest, resting before we're exhausted. We see this idea in scripture of rhythms of rest. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Setting apart this day to be with friends, family, and to not work so that we can rest and then we can work from that rest. You may be listening to this episode and you just feel exhausted. You're tired. You don't know if you can keep going in this rat race. Life is a struggle. It's difficult. It's hard. And you've accepted that, but you don't know what to do. You're beginning to become numb to the world and numb to others around you. If this is you, if this is something you're facing right now, Jesus has words for you. He says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. No matter what you're experiencing right now, God is calling you to come to Him, to bring it to Him. He will give you rest. There's a lot of places we go to for rest. It may be binge-watching a new series on Netflix. It may be going to the gym and hoping you can shake that feeling that's been nagging at you. But God is saying that rest is a gift, a gift that He gives us. So I don't know what you're going through right now, but I ask you to consider this, that God is inviting you to come to Him and He will give you rest. Just remember, no matter what you're going through, there is always more mercy.